0: Luke writes, uh, one day Jesus left the crowds to to pray alone. And and by the way, that's a good thing to do at times, to leave the noise, to leave the crowd, and and they'll be fine without you, and and to get alone with God. In fact, for some of you in this room, that's exactly what you need to do this week, or maybe today. Get away from all the noise of life and spend some time alone with your Heavenly Father. Get it? Good. Only his disciples were with him and he asked them, who do you say, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you're one of the other ancient prophets risen from the dead. Then they asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. And then Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone because his time had not yet come. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, by, by all those who should have accepted him. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, does anybody out there want to be his disciple? I hope so. And they am saying it's more than just being saved. Whoever wants to be, be my disciple must deny himself. Take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and and yet lose or forfeit their very self? What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Did you, did you hear what Jesus is saying? He, he's saying that if, if you make your life all about you, then your life can never be all about him. And not only that, Jesus is saying that if you do that, you will actually miss out on becoming the very person that God created you to be. In other words, you will lose or, or forfeit your very self. However, on the other hand, if you, if you get over yourself, if you deny yourself for his sake, you'll actually find Your very self. You'll find the very life that you have been longing to live. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the wonder of creation. Holy Spirit, we thank you for dwelling in us and moving in this place. And I pray that your word today will not come back void, that it will accomplish the purpose that you have for it, God. I pray that you will find fertile soil. God, not not hard soil, not rocky soil, not not soil so covered with many other things that it just chokes out your truth the minute we walk out the doors, but may it find fertile truth. May we have eyes to see and ears to hear. And God, please enable me to share this truth the way you want it shared, because it's all about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, today we're wrapping up a, a message series that began all the way back on February the 17th. Overcome the challenges that we face. And it's been, a, it's been a great series, and I'll tell you, God has been moving in the lives of many people in this room as we talked about such things as reversing anxiety, moving beyond insecurity, getting over our hurts, making fear our friend, overcoming discouragement, uh, overcoming loss, a grace disguise, and overcoming temptation, I'm not tapping out. And this morning, we're going to conclude the series, Overcome, by talking about what I think is perhaps the greatest challenge that most of us will ever face. In fact, it's one that we must be prepared to fight daily, every single day of our lives, The challenge to get over ourselves. Here's the deal. You, you are the biggest obstacle you are the biggest obstacle to your own happiness, contentment, joy, and to becoming who God wants you to be. And, and I know that I, I cannot solve this massive and deeply embedded issue in one conversation, but hopefully today I, I can move us to, to consider and to be drawn to a, a, a freer and a better way to live, such that we all leave here today Striving with a dogged determination to live out the mantra, it's not about me. Look two people in the eye and tell them, it's not about me. Okay, now look those same two people in the eye and say, it's not about you. And I have no idea why you're having more fun saying that one. And some of you owe me some money for that, at least a Starbucks car because you've been wanting to say that, and I gave you permission to say, it's not about you to your wife or to your kids or your mom or dad. I mean, something should be coming my way for that. But it's not about me, I guess. <laughs> Listen, it's not, life's not about you. It's not about your wants, your desires, or your opinions. Uh, there's three points in your note this morning, the reality, the reasons, and the remedy. However, two very quick commercials. Commercial number one is that, Uh, 22.15 begins this Thursday, 6.30 to 8 p.m. in the Youth Center. Uh, 22.15 is based on 2 Timothy 2.15, where we're commanded, uh, do your best to present yourself a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of truth. It's going to meet the second and fourth Thursday of every month. In the month of April, uh, we're going to survey, briefly survey every book in the Old Testament. And when you're done with this, class on these two uh, uh, Thursday nights, you will know all the books of the Old Testament. You'll know them in order. You'll be able to recite them. You'll know how they're divided up, and you'll know a little bit about each and every book, all right? That's this this coming Thursday. And uh, next is the prayer summit next Saturday. And, and you can sign up on the connection card. You know, this banner it's kind of like sometimes a stand on our carpet or your carpet, right? We don't always notice it. It's just hanging there. But our number one core value is we honor biblical authority. That's why I'm doing 2215, right? How can we honor something that we don't know? Uh, We depend on God. That's about prayer, you know? And and, and I really, I think you do too. We want to see God move on Sunday mornings, right? But we can't choreograph that. (laughs) Uh, We can't make that happen without the Holy Spirit. And, And on next Saturday from 930 to 1230, Neil Willer from Waypoint will be coming here and teaching us how to make sure the Holy Spirit feels welcome every single Sunday. And I really encourage you to sign up. I hate for me to have to call Neil up. Hey, Neil, guess what? Uh, no one at my church wants to pray for the Holy Spirit to be welcome. So you got the day off, right? I don't want to do that, right? A little guilt? Yes, I'm okay with that. Uh, and I do have a request. Um, after service, um, we have the pleasure... And you won't have this pleasure for another year, so you may want to take advantage of it to move the gaga pit back to the youth center, all right? And you saw how much that was used, all right? Okay, getting over yourself, the reality. Max Licata writes, there's a sickness that makes the Black Plague appear as mild as the common cold. Tally the death tolls of all infections, fevers, and epidemics since the beginning of time, and you'll still fall short of the number claimed by this single infirmity. Forgive me for being the one to tell you, but you are infected. You suffer from it. You're a victim, a disease carrier. You have shown the symptoms and manifested the signs. You have a case of, brace yourself, selfishness. You don't believe me? Suppose you're in a group photo. The first time you see the picture, where do you look? And if you look good, do you like the picture? If you're the only one who looks good, do you still like the picture? If some are cross-eyed and others have spinach in their teeth, do you still like the picture? If that makes you like it even more, you've got a bad case. <laughs> uh, what about, he writes, physical manifestation, clutching hands. Do your fingers ever wrap and close around possessions? Protruding teeth. teeth. Do fangs ever flare when you're interrupted or irritated? Heavy feet. When a neighboring car wants to cut in front of you, do you sense a sudden heaviness of foot on the accelerator? Extended shoulder. Any inflammation from patting yourself on the back? And your neck is a sore from keeping your nose in the air? But most of all, look into your eyes, look long into your pupils. Do you see a tiny figure, an image of a person, an image of you? And he concludes with this: The self-centered and the self-centered see everything through the self. Their motto: it's all about me. The flight schedule, the traffic, the dress styles, the worship styles. You know he's a pastor to write that, right? Uh, the weather, the work, whether or not one works, everything is filtered through the mini-me in the eye. I think he's right. Many people in our world and maybe even a few in this room are infected, are a disease carrier. Many people in this room see and filter pretty much everything through the mini me in the eye. We see selfishness in the garden. You know, it's amazing to me how much stuff, you know, the bad mess up stuff can be traced back to Genesis chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say? Now, now, now what is Satan trying to get them to do? To doubt God's word, right? And listen, he does the very same thing today. Did God really say I need to forgive those who hurt me? Did God really say I have to love my enemies? Did God really say that sex outside of marriage is sin? Did God really say that gossip, slander, negativity are destructive, divisive, and sinful? Did God really say I need to tithe my income? Did God really say I need to use my talents and ability that God gave me to help serve his church and to make it stronger? Did God really say I must love my wife just as Christ loved the church? Did God really say that he must come first in my life and that compared to him, I must hate my mother, my father, my wife, my children, even my own life? Did God really say? He still does the same thing, doesn't he? What does he whisper to you? Did God really say? And then you go on and, and we do whatever we know we're not supposed to do. Woman said to the serpent, and, and that's where it goes downhill, right? Because Eve chooses to engage in a conversation with the wrong person and to listen to the wrong voices. You ever do that? We may eat from, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch her; or you will die. You will certainly not die, the servant said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And here her focus begins to turn from God so quickly to herself. When the woman saw that the tree of the fruit was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Again, it it all became about her and what was good and pleasing to her. You see selfishness in the garden. That's where it was born. We see selfishness in our culture. And listen, in our current American culture, I think the infection rate may be higher than ever before. I made the fallen post on my Facebook wall on Friday. Do you think that today's culture, 21st century America, is an increasingly self-centered culture? And, And there's absolutely nothing scientific about my results, but... 89% said, yes, they think it is getting more self-centered. And 11% said, no, they don't think it's getting more self-centered. Of those who said yes, one person said, uh, just read a job application, cover letter, or attend an interview. Lots of talk about self-actualization and personal fulfillment. Virtually nothing about doing good work or meeting the needs of the company. Another person said, yes, I do. So much of the media seeks to indoctrinate us to care deeply about ourselves, our lives, our looks, our happiness. It's all about us. Another said yes. Look at the epidemic proportions of broken families, marriages, kids, adolescents today, our society, suicide levels, violence, lack of respect towards others, et cetera. And of the 11% that, that said no, um, they said no because you know, they feel that culture has always been self centered and that. that Yeah, we kind of grow up as babies, self-centered, right? And and also they said no because they see so many times people doing things in in our culture that that are for the benefit of others. And and I agree; it's we've always been self-centered. It's part of our nature, and and I do agree that we see some amazing examples of selfless things. Uh, We see people feeding the poor. We see people serving in the military. Or as first responders, we see we see people doing such selfless acts as taking in foster children, adopting children, coming along some coming along someone who is hurting. We see people opening up their homes to someone who needs a home to live in. And just this past week, you know, I, I, I saw a lot of uh, selfless acts as adults and teenagers and church leaders, you know, spent, you know. Every day from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. running around with a bunch of little kids, right? And thank God for our students who could run around more and have kids hang on them because us old people would have died on day one, right? But, but they did most of that. And, and so, though I do agree that it's, self-centeredness has always been around, I, I just feel we're getting worse. I feel it's kind of like what Timothy, what Paul told Timothy would happen in 2 Timothy 3. When he says, but know that, know this, difficult times will come in the last days for people will be lovers of self, boastful, proud, ungrateful. I mean, like, like we're heading into a yay, yeah, yay, yeah, yay, yeah, a new presidential campaign, right? And I really doubt that, that if a person could be elected who said what John F. Kennedy said 58 years ago, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And, and said, it's like, hey, if you're elected, what will you do for me? What will you give me? Right? Or it's, hey, if you elect me, here's what I'll do for you. And I think social media has really fed into our self-centeredness. Do you know there, there are over there are several thousand YouTube videos on how to take the perfect selfie? Right? I, 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 I googled how to take the perfect selfie, and in .51 seconds, there were 158 million results. And one came from uh, cosmopolitan.com, right? And so, if you have a phone, you, you may want to work on this, right? I'm going to tell you how to take the perfect selfie, right? And it says, number one, you look toward the camera. <laughs> As doing so, slightly raise your eyebrows to make your eyes appear larger. Then think of, think of something that truly makes you smile. which you create a look of genuine happiness that will shine through in your photo. Number two, Extend your head away from your neck. This helps create the look of a longer neck and sharper jawline. You can also push your shoulders down to make yourself look more relaxed. Number three, instead of holding your phone in front of you, hold it sideways for that flawless angle. Right? right? <laughs> Number four, relax your mouth and exhale, breathing air through your lips. Now, whether you choose to keep your mouth closed or, or fully closed or loosely open in your selfies blowing air through your lids before you snap a pic keeps your mouth looking less tense bonus it also makes your pout look more plump (laughs) (laughs) number five in your selfie ready posture position slowly spin until you find your best light then snap away alright see you learned something today right (laughs) take the perfect selfie I'm terrible at selfies, right? I could take like a million. They look terrible. I got to grab a young person, right? Because I can't get that angle, right? Uh, We see selfishness in Scripture. And whatever we do, it's a mess. Uh, James says, whenever people are jealous or selfish, they cause trouble and do all sorts of cruel things. From Genesis to Revelation, uh, we see self-centeredness causing trouble and giving birth to cruel things. See, it was selfishness that caused Adam and Eve to bite the forbidden fruit, Cain to murder his brother, Abraham to lie and say Sarah was his sister, Jacob to steal Esau's birthright, the ten spies to lie about and give a bad report, Samson to lose his strength. It was self-centeredness that caused David to sleep with another man's wife, Herod to try to kill the Christ child, the religious to oppose Jesus. It was self-centeredness that caused James and John to, to ask for a position of power, it's what caused the disciples to flee into darkness, Peter to deny Jesus, Pilate to crucify God. It's what caused the early church to grumble about food distribution. It's what caused Peter to dump his new Gentile uh, brothers because he was afraid of what his Jewish friends would think. And its selfishness is what caused the believers in Laodicea to be lukewarm. Whenever people are jealous or selfish, they cause trouble and do all sorts of cruel things. It's in the garden. it's in our culture, it's in Scripture. And it's also in our own lives. Listen, when we peel back the layers of any relational conflict, buried beneath the rubble and the pain and heartache, we usually find major examples of ongoing, it's all about me, chronic self-seeking. Listen, the reality of our selfishness is impossible to die. And and I don't know about you, but I'm I'm amazed and appalled by how quickly and easily I can make things about me. And in turn, not deny myself, but instead deny carrying my cross. Anybody out there struggle with making it all about you? Making your marriage about you? Making your family about you? Where you work about you? Making your relationships all about you? And next, sadly, I might add, uh, we see selfishness in the church. Francis Chan, in his most recent book, Letters to the Church, writes this. It's no secret that most people who attend church services come as consumers rather than servants. We see the foolishness in this, but it feels as if we've resigned ourselves to it. We've learned to accept it as though there's nothing we can do about it. People put money in the offering basket, which pays for salaries so the staff should do their job And minister to the people. It sounds like a fair and efficient system. And it works pretty well in some places. It's not what God wanted, but it works. God wants you to resemble his son, especially when you gather with your church family. Do you show up to gatherings looking to serve? He writes, and some of you hear that question. And you feel burdened, like a weight has just been placed on. You already live a busy life, and you want... The church gathering to be a place of rest where you can be fed. He continues, if you think that sitting back and letting church staff feed you will bring you the most fulfillment, you're wrong. God promised that those who give will be most blessed. Acts 20 verse 35. Takers are the most miserable people in the world. It is our inability to take our eyes off ourselves and put them on others that destroys us. That's what Jesus saves us from. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. The most humble people are typically the happiest. Imagine, imagine gather a group of people who are trying to outserve one another. Have you ever been in a room filled with humble people who count others more significant than themselves? It's anything but burdensome. When servants gather together, everyone is built up. No one hates consumerism more than God because the because that mentality keeps the church from having the vibrancy He intended. Don't give up on the dream, he writes. The church doesn't have to remain a group of needy people complaining that they haven't been fed well enough. It can become a group of servants who thrive in serving. And I say amen. And and I just ask you, you don't have to raise a hand. Raise your hearts. Would you like to join me in pursuing this dream, God's dream, for this church? To become a church where, where we gather to To serve and to give and to love and to build up and to encourage. And not simply to consume and to critique and to complain about what we want. Chan writes, I love this quote. It's in your notes. It pops up on the screen. By catering our worship to worshipers and not to the object of our worship, I fear we have created human-centered churches. By the way, after Easter, we're going to do a study on the church together about what God says the church should be. Okay, that's the reality of selfishness. It's in the garden, it's in our culture, it's in Scripture, in our lives, it's in the church, the reasons. Uh, Our nature. It seems like ever since Adam and Eve took the bite of that forbidden fruit that we were made in God's image have become selfish and self-centered. Yes, we, like the world before, Copernicus and Galileo feel as though we are center stage and that the world Or the world should revolve uh, around us, our needs and our wants and our desires. Result, we've been demanding our way and stomping our feet since infancy. Feed me, change me, hold me, play with me, pay attention to me, give me, serve me. We want spouses that make us happy, kids that make us look good, bosses that appreciate us, weather that suits us, co-workers who always ask our opinions and show us appreciation, and governments, churches, families, and friends who serve us and do things our way. Self-seeking, self-promotion, self-preservation, self-centeredness, it's all about me. A second reason we're so self-centered and self-seeking is, again, it's our culture. I mean, it's no mystery that our American culture, that it feeds, promotes, creates, fuels, empowers, sustains, and exists on you and I being self-seeking and self-centered. I mean, all you have to do is... All you have to do is turn on the TV, pick up a magazine, surf the internet, stroll through a shopping mall, or cruise page the pages of social media, and, and, and you will hear the noise and voice of modern culture shouting and calling out to you, promote yourself, please yourself, protect yourself, look out for yourself, make a name for yourself, make it all about yourself. And listen, these voices, that noise, it, it tells us again and again that, that self-promotion and self celebration, making life all about you, is the path to happiness. In fact, the enemy has been playing that tune in mankind's head since Genesis chapter 3. The result, chaos, noisy homes, stress-filled lives, cutthroat relationships, empty and weary souls, shallow dreams, and epidemic stress and depression. And how can we expect anything else? Because we serve a selfless God in whose image we're made. And listen, because we're created in his image, a self-seeking life will always be a never satisfied life. You know, maybe that's why I can't get no satisfaction. But I try and I try, All right? I can't get no. Maybe that's why. I mean, that's why you can't either. Because you're just making it all about you. Jesus said, "We're well, good for someone to gain the whole world, and yet lose or forfeit their very self." Raise your hand if you would like to lose or forfeit your very self. <laughs> I don't think any of us do. A third reason for our self-seeking ways is our enemy. And, and, and here's the deal: he's a thief, right? He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And and, and, and he knows that a Full life, an abundant life, an overflowing life is not a self-seeking life, but a selfless and God-centered life. And he'll do anything to prevent you from living that way. In fact, he trembles at the very thought of you actually living the way that Jesus commands. He trembles at the thought of you denying yourself, of you taking up your cross, losing yourself for the sake of the gospel, and applying the Apostle Paul, Paul's approach to your life. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. It's no longer about me. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, he trembles at the thought of us living that way. He'll use our nature, our culture, and even our gospel to keep us in our self-seeking ways. I understand many today, especially in America, have sold and eagerly bought into a much different gospel than the one first delivered 2,000 years ago. And this gospel is all about you and it's all for you. Come to Jesus so that he will save you, heal you, restore you, fix your money, make you happy, fulfill your dreams. It's a gospel powered not by surrender and self sacrifice, but by self seeking and self indulgence, by what Christ and his church can do for you. It's a consumer driven gospel rather than a Christ-driven gospel. Serve me, please me, feed me, meet my needs, and if you don't, I'll find some other place that will. And to be honest, pastors and leaders like me have caved into that philosophy at times because we do not want people to leave the church. Cuz we don't want our numbers to go down. Because in America numbers mean success. So Let's make you happy so you don't leave. But truth is, we don't exist to make you happy, right? We exist to make him happy, right? And I think we make him happy. I think ultimately, guess what we're going to be? Happy, 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 right? <laughs> I, I just believe that. I've got to believe in the gospel. But so, I haven't always, right? I've got to admit it. I'm part of the problem. At times, I've sold a cheap gospel. You know, I, I don't want to do that. Uh, my Jesus deserves better. He does. I really think he does. No, I know he does. <laughs> okay, here, here, here's how we overcome it. The remedy. Number one, accept your acceptance. Great passage of scripture. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, God is giving us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly world. That is in Christ, he chose us before the world was made so that we would be his holy people, people without blame before him. Because of his love, God has already decided to make us his own children through Jesus Christ. That's what he wanted and what pleased him. And it brings praise to God because of his wonderful grace. God gave that grace to us freely in Christ, the one he loves. In Christ, we are set free by the blood of his death. And so we have forgiveness of sins. How rich is God's grace, which he has given to us so fully and so freely. That's some good stuff. And if you're a Jesus follower, just repeat after me, just with a little bit of passion because it's true. I am chosen. I am blameless. I am loved. I am free. I am forgiven. I am worthy. I am accepted. I am God's own child. See, if you surrender to Christ, accept your identity and listen, when you embrace your acceptance, you'll no longer feel the need to lift up, promote, exalt, and make it about you because in Christ, God has already lifted you higher than you ever could imagine. Understand, we have nothing to prove because we're already approved. I have nothing to prove to anyone, anytime, because I'm already approved by God. Amen? Amen? Listen, the verdict of who you are and what you're worth, that verdict is already in. Court has been adjourned. So you do not need to go into that courtroom every day and wonder did I do enough today? Do enough people like me today to mean that I am somebody and that I have worth? Because in Christ, you already do. Amen? Next, overcome. Yourself, you need to see his glory. In Exodus 33, we find Moses talking with God, wanting to make sure that when he leads the people into the promised land, he wants to make sure, hey, God, like, are you going too? I love this. Exodus 33, verse 15. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. God, if you're not going with us, we do not want to go. I love it. And God loved it. So God said to Moses, hey, dude, what do you want? I'll give it to you. If you're Moses, what would you ask for? Hey, could you just beam me directly into Cana, first class, no stops? How about a new and younger body? This 80-year-old one is kind of tired. How about some new people to lead? No, here's his request. Show me your glory. Moses is saying, hey, Forget about the money, the power. Bypass the youth. I can live with an aging body, but God, I cannot live without you. I want more of you. I want to see more of your glory. Moses' request needs to be ours because we got big problems. I mean, look at us living in dying bodies, walking on a decaying planet, surrounded by a self-centered society. These are no small issues. A small God, no thanks. What we need is what Moses needed. We need a glimpse of God's glory. And such a glimpse will change us forever. Seeing God's glory will melt our self-seeking ways like the summer heat melts butter. I mean, who would ever brag about their net worth in the presence of Bill Gates? Better yet, who would ever think of promoting and making about themselves in the presence of one whose glory fills the entire earth? I mean, why strive to live for our glory when we can see his? Accept your acceptance and see his glory. And, see, when, when we see his glory, it puts everything into perspective. It, it puts us into perspective. And it moves us to adjust, it moves you to adjust your story to his story. Francis Chan gives a powerful illustration in his book, Crazy Love. Suppose you're an extra in an upcoming movie. You'll probably scrutinize that one scene where hundreds of people are milling about just waiting for that two-fifths of a second when you can see the back of your head. <laughs> Maybe your mom and closest friends get excited about the two-fifths of a second with you. Maybe. But no one else realizes it, even if, they, even if you tell them they won't care. Let's take it a step further. What if you rent out a theater on opening night and invite all your friends and family to come see the new movie about you? People say, you're an idiot. How could you think this movie is about you? Many Christians are even more delusional than the person I've been describing. So many of us think and live like the movie of life is about us. Now consider the movie of life. God creates the world. Were you alive then? Was God talking to you when he said it is good about the things he has made? Then people rebel against God, who is, by the way, the lead character. And God floods the earth to rid it of the mess people made of it. Several generations later, God singles out a 90-year-old man called Abram and makes him the father of a nation. Did you have anything to do with that? (laughs) Later along comes Joseph and Moses and many other ordinary inadequate people that the movie is also not about. God's the one who picks them and directs them and works miracles through them. The next scene, God sends judges and prophets to his nation because his people can't seem to do the one thing he wants them to do, obey. Then the climax, the Son of God is born among people who God still somehow loves. While in this world the son teaches his followers what love looks like, then the son dies and is resurrected and goes back to be with God. Even though the movie isn't quite finished yet, we know the last scene is a scene where every being worships God as he sits on the throne because he's worthy to be praised. From start to finish, the movie is obviously about God. He's the main character. How is it possible that we live as though it's about us? Our scene in the movie, our brief lies fall somewhere between the time Jesus ascends into heaven and we worship him on the throne. We only have our two-fifths of a second long scene to live. I don't know about you, but I want my two-fifths of a second to be about making much of God. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That is what each of our own two-fifths of a second is about. So what does that mean for you? Frankly, you need to get over yourself. Might sound harsh, but that's seriously what it means. Maybe life's good for you right now. Understand, God has given you that good stuff so that you can show the world a person who can enjoy blessings but is still obsessed with God. Or maybe your life is tough right now and everything feels like a struggle. Understand, God has allowed hard things in your life so that you can show the world that your God is great and that knowing him brings peace and joy even when life is hard. Like the psalmist who wrote, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I ain't doing that good. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. And when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive, of me, oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. You see, it's easy to become disillusioned by the circumstances of our lives compared to others. But in the presence of God, he gives us a deeper joy and peace that transcends it all. To be brutally honest, it doesn't really matter what place you find yourself in. Your part in the story is to bring him glory. The point of your life is the point to him. Whatever you're doing, God wants to be glorified because this whole thing is his. It's his movie. It's his worth. It's his gift. If you want to overcome yourself, you've got to adjust your life to his story. Always looking for ways to point to him no matter what the circumstances. I I mean, like, you you and I need to wake up each day and look for ways to point to him and make it all about him. Now, now what would that look like for you to live that way in your marriage, right? How can I, I bring him glory and point to him in my marriage? What would it look like? For you to live that way in your family, where you live, where you work, where you serve a church, when you come to church. Hey, I'm not here about me. I'm here. I came here today, Sunday morning, October 7th, to point to God. How can I point to God today? How can I bring God glory today? And here, Here's something else that happens. When we do that, when we adjust our story to his story, when we make our lives about pointing to him, You know, all the challenges we've been talking about will go strangely dim. I mean, seriously, what hold, what power does anxiety and security, hurt, fear, loss, disappointment, temptation have on us when it's no longer about our story? When it's no longer about us? When we embrace Paul's philosophy of living, Christ's love Not self seeking controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we've all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Did God really say that those who receive this new life should no longer live for themselves? Yeah, he did. Accept your acceptance. See his glory, adjust your life to his story. And next, pursue the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Just another word for humility. And remember, humility is not thinking more of yourself, and it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking more of yourself. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And there's just tremendous freedom in living this way. And listen, when you accept your acceptance, when you see his glory and you adjust your life to his story, pursuing self-forgetfulness is just kind of the it's kind of the natural result. I mean, seriously, wouldn't you want to live a life where you don't have to finish first and you let others have the credit and the glory? Wouldn't you want to live a life where you do not need the praise of others and you don't, don't fear it either? Wouldn't you want to live a life where you're not devastated by criticism, but where you don't ignore it either and instead learn whatever you can from it? Wouldn't you want to live a life where how you feel about you does not rise and fall depending on the opinions of other people? Wouldn't you want to live a life where you can serve even if nobody notices and even if you're actually treated like a servant, uh, wouldn't you want to live a life where when you fall, you simply admit it, get back up, move forward, knowing that God still has and always will love you? Wouldn't you want to live a life where you can walk into a room, not concerned what you get out of it, but walk in thinking, hey, what can I give today? Who can I touch today in that room? Wouldn't you want to live a life where you're like a skater who's won the, uh, the silver And yet, you're thrilled by the triple jump that the gold medal winner just did? As if you'd done it yourself? See, there's so much freedom in making life not about you and denying yourself, right? There's freedom. That's where freedom is found. Want to get over yourself? I hope so. Accept your acceptance, see his glory. Adjust your life to a story. Pursue the freedom of self-forgetfulness. And you know what those, the first letters of each point spell out? A-S-A-P. ASAP. ASAP. See, you should want to get over yourself as soon as possible. Because here's the deal. The answer you're looking for, the life you're longing for, is found when you get over yourself. According to Jesus, right? And I think he's a pretty smart guy. That's what you're looking for. You're, you're trying, it just ain't working. Life's not working. You're not satisfied, you're not happy, you're miserable. Everywhere you go, you're not, you're not, you're not happy. You want other people to be not happy with you, and I'm just saying, maybe Jesus has it. Maybe Jesus knows something here. Maybe saying, if you would stop making life about you, you would actually find real life. I know I need to get over myself, and I know it's a daily thing, right? You don't get over yourself today, and you're good tomorrow. Every day, get over yourself. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul? Pray with me. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We just, right now, Lord, I just pray for all of us. Lord, forgive us for making life about us, for making everything about us. Help us to make it about you, Lord. Lord. Help us to trust you that life is found in denying ourselves, even though it doesn't make sense. And even though the voices in our head and our culture will constantly whisper that we need to promote ourselves and make it about ourselves in order to be happy, it's just not true. And Lord, I just pray that each of us will make an effort, Lord, to lean hard into your word and to trust you and to look for ways to die to ourselves. And Lord, we thank you that. Uh, You love us when we're unlovely, and we thank you, God, that it's your grace that sets us free. Your grace is what makes it possible. Your grace is what helps us to get over ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.